welcome to the 200 episode spectacular of the Boy Time Podcast. Uh, I am your host, uh, Spike Lee, back at it again with a new episode. And as always, I'm joined by Babby. Mm. Mm. Uh, yes, this is the big 200 uh, episode celebration Woo-hoo. yay uh, yay uh we we've redone a bunch of stuff got our new theme song uh redid some of the art so some of the cover art's a little bit different um yeah i don't i don't know what all is going to be done because we're recording this before some stuff is finalized so uh but but suffice to say that there's plenty of new stuff here and then you know maybe next week there might be some more new stuff but maybe i don't know i don't know i don't know uh <laughs> we uh we're gonna try redoing the podcast a little bit we talked about it a little bit uh last week uh, so if you listen to last week's episode, then you're probably familiar with what we're going to be doing. Uh, we kind of pitched the new pilot segment that we're going to be doing. So we will be doing that today. Uh, we're also, yeah, I know it's pretty scary. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, uh yeah um and so yeah we're gonna be doing that new segment and then we're restructuring how stuff is um so if if this is your first episode uh previously i guess we've been uh primarily news focused and then we would kind of sprinkle in reviews and now i'm i think i kind of want to do a 180 on that so we're doing a little bit of news uh and then I think most of the podcast is going to be reviews and then the, uh, the, the little pilot segment, the, I don't even know what we're calling it. Are we? Uh, I still don't have a name for it. Okay. Well, we'll come up with a name. We'll come up with one. Uh, it's not like us to be prepared for no. anything. So yes, uh, I think, uh, so I've revamped how I'm going to be doing movie reviews. So hopefully they're a little better. Um, I've restructured them in my notes. Um, before I just had like the name of the movie, but now I have more details in front of me so I can see, uh, you know, who's in it, who the big players are, writer and directors. And then I wrote notes of stuff I want to talk about. So, um, hopefully they should flow a little better and I remember to talk about everything because sometimes I forget to say things in reviews and I wish I did, but I didn't. So that is going to be in this week's episode. Um, in terms of news things, there hasn't been a whole lot, um, in terms of stuff we are interested in, I think I'm going to save the gaming news for last. Usually we start with gaming news, but I think I have the most to say about the gaming news. So we'll, we'll do that for last. Um, in terms of seasons, we got like, uh, two announcements of two new seasons dropping in June as if there's not enough TV that I'm behind on. We're getting 
two <laughs> new shows, uh, very different. I would say maybe opposites of each other. Um, we got news that Always Sunny season 16 is releasing on June 7th. Um, so I'm assuming that's going to be next day on Hulu on the 8th. So every Thursday we're going to be getting episodes of Always Sunny. Um, I don't know. What are your opinions on Modern Sunny? Um, it's kind of hit or miss. I feel like the last season was eh. Yeah. But the season before that was pretty decent from what I remember. Yeah, I would say that's very accurate. Um, and I, I've been like kind of looking around. Um, I think I maybe prefaced this that I think Always Sunny is maybe, maybe one of our, like both of our favorite, not, not like the favorite comedy show of all time, but it's probably up there for both of us. I know, I know you really like it. I really like it. Um, and I have been listening to the Always Sunny podcast, um, which I would recommend after listening to this podcast, of course. Yeah, finish this podcast. Uh, finish this podcast first and then listen to the Always Sunny podcast. Um, but that one's great because it's got um, Rob McElhenney, uh, Glenn Howerton, and Charlie Day, um, who are the three people who kind of created the show um, back in the day. And they're doing a rewatch of it. I, I'll say loosely because they hardly ever talk about the episodes that they are supposed to be reviewing, which I think is incredibly charming. And I really like seeing their real life. And also they talk a lot about like behind the scenes stuff, which I find fascinating. Um, but I know it, it turns a lot of people off where it's like, I just want an always sunny rewatch podcast. I wish they wouldn't talk about all this other stuff, um, which I don't really get. Because I really like the podcast. It's been gone for a while. It just started up again. So, uh, yeah, because they were producing. And then I believe those three guys are, are heavily involved in the editing process. I don't think they are editors. But I know that they are in the editing room and are often making the decisions there. So they've been busy working on this new season of Sunny. So I think... Before the one that came out this week, the last one was like in mid-February. So they had been, you know, deep in production for three months, which is kind of crazy that they were able to shoot and edit uh, a full season of a show in, in three months-ish. Um, but uh, they're probably not done yet. They're probably just wrapping up on it. But yeah, so that's coming out June 7th. Uh, and then exciting for me, I know many people are not excited for this, but Black Mirror season six okay. is also releasing in June. Um, didn't get a date on that one. We just know it's coming out in June. Uh, I have been eagerly awaiting Black Mirror since um, it's it's kind of hiatus. I think it's last season maybe came out in 2018 or 2019. Uh, and then when COVID hit, Charlie Brooker was like, I'm done for now. I don't want to depress the world even more with this whole coronavirus thing. And then he made those like, uh, it was like comedy special thingies or I forgot what they were called, but he did one for 2020 and one for 2021. 
um, that were like mockumentaries kind of going over the world and kind of taking all this shitty stuff and then putting a positive spin on it, just making goofs. Um, I watched the first one. It was pretty good. Uh, and I didn't watch the second one. Um, and now uh, Black Mirror Season 6 is coming out. Uh, I know a lot of people are uh, still not ready to be depressed and now you know a lot of the things that like were in season one of black mirror are like slowly becoming our reality so that's not it's kind of scary to think about um i'm sure they're having a field day with all this ai stuff that's going on um so yeah but i'm looking forward to that i like black mirror quite a bit so uh and then we got one little bit of movie news uh, Dune 2 got a release date, uh, and it's November 3rd, so, yeah, of course, podcast timing, I believe the trailer is coming out tomorrow, so, <laughs> it always we happens. We still haven't solved that issue. <laughs> nope, uh, we moved the day around where we record, doesn't fix it, it's always, it's like the industry knows when we're recording mm-hmm. and releases it after we record, like, in the period in between the the podcast coming out and when we record is always when they drop trailers, um, which is unfortunate. But I was able to report on the release date, and there was a poster. I don't have a lot to say about it, uh, except that it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's better than the first one, um, which I mean I really liked the the first movie but the poster was pretty weak uh the poster for this one is pretty solid where it's just like a giant like planet and then it's just uh timothy chalamet and zendaya and like their dune suits which i've gone on record or saying like some of the coolest costumes i've seen in a movie period they're so awesome i wish i could wear one in real life they should sell them relatively inexpensively so that I could wear one. Um, but I don't think they're going to do that, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, Dune 1 was one of my favorite movies of, was that 2021? Dune 1? So. Yeah. Yeah, great movie. Uh, Zendaya has already said that she's going to be in more of it than in the first I, one. I would hope so. <laughs> she's like, she's I'm kind of like, you know, <laughs> she's like, I'm not just going to be a dream this time. I'm like, Oh, that's good. Cause she was in those, I like set that up. But at the last, yeah, I, I mean, I was expecting it, but it was kind of nice to, you know, uh, get a little more, uh, confirmation that she's going to actually be in this movie. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, so this is the, the second half of the David Lynch Dune movie. Um, it's kind of crazy that David Lynch was able to contain this whole story in one movie. Uh, and we're getting like two, three hour movies uh, that are, you know, that same story. But I mean, obviously, the Villeneuve one are, are better. I don't really think I need to say that, but, uh, yeah. So, Dune 2 looks pretty neat. 
Uh, I think, I'm not sure. Do we want to talk about the writer's strike right now? I have it in movie news. Well, technically, it's a little it's more kind of like TV news, but also my segment at the same time. So I don't yeah, know. Um, I'm I'm not sure. We can talk about it later if you want to. Um, I don't know if I don't know a lot of the the what their demands mean, just because yeah, I'm, there's a lot of jargon in there. I'm trying to sift through, and it's really hard to like. <laughs> figure out what all of this is specifically because they gave a very detailed list. <laughs> yes, which is good. Yes, um, it's just I am stupid and can't comprehend yes. all of this at the moment. Yes, some of this is, uh, it's a lot of jargon, which I'm familiar with, like filmmaking jargon. I'm not so familiar on the business of filmmaking jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had to look up what MBAs are. Um, I was like, why do, because one of their demands is, uh, MBA minimums to comedy variety programs made for new media, um, which would be, I would assume that's like talk shows, like a Jimmy Fallon esque thing, Mm -hmm. um, for, for like their internet side. So like, or I know Conan did this a lot. I'm not sure how much the other ones do it where like they would have, sketches that would just be online. Um, and those sketches were not given the same protections for, uh, or like the same benefits, the same pay as writers writing sketches for the actual televised portion. So I had to look up what, what all that was. Um, but we can talk about it a little more in depth later, but, um, in terms of how movies are going to be affected or how TV is going to be affected, there was a writer's strike, uh, very similar to this one, in 2007. Almost exactly. Right before the economic crash, which could also be happening soon. True. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah, so we, we might be echoing. Just repeating ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Events that happened 20 years ago. Um, yeah, 2007. A lot of that. A lot of if you look at the demands for that one, it's really interesting because they kind of saw all of this coming, where they were like fighting for protections for streaming stuff mm-hmm. in two thousand and seven. Yep. It's like was there even like I don't even think Netflix streaming was in two thousand and seven. They just like saw the writing on the wall and was like, okay, something is coming here. This YouTube thing is gonna blow up. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. And it did. Uh, and unfortunately, I think the ending of that one was they had to like give in to a lot of their demands. And I think they're coming up here um, again. You know, over 15 years later, they're finally striking over things they were fighting for in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, but if this is anything like the 2007 writer's strike, it means that movies coming out one to two, maybe three years from now are going to be horrible, depending on how long this strike is. Um, Because, you know, studios aren't going to want to give in to all of these. A lot of them are increased pay related. So they are going to go... um, Despite record profits, I will say. Despite record profits, yeah. Um, 
I don't, I'm not super sure on the terminology. I've heard the term scab being thrown around. Yes. Um, don't are, cross a picket line. Yes. Those are people that are willing is, to work through the strike. Yeah. This is a little different. Um, yeah. just because this is not, this is a commodity obviously, but it's a little yeah. different than like going into a Starbucks while people are striking. Um, I think the best course of action is to not get mad at the the garbage TV that's about to come out. Get <laughs> mad at the companies making yes. this because they are not meeting these very reasonable demands. It looks like most of these are like two to three percent increases across the board, which is not a large amount considering how much money these execs have made in the last two years. <laughs> right. Yes. Um yeah, there, I don't think any of these demands are going to necessarily break the the pocketbook of uh, David Zavlov or <laughs> Bob Iger or whoever, mm. you know. Um, and, you know, I, I think writers, they often, uh, it's a, they're, they're very important, but they often don't get the spotlight that they deserve unless they go on to be... Uh, either like on-screen personalities or something like name another Simpsons writer that isn't Conan O'Brien <laughs> name another SNL writer that isn't Bob Odenkirk Conan O'Brien or John Mulaney. Um, it's like, yeah, there, there's there. They often go forgotten. Um, unless it's a writer director, I will say that too. Um, which we'll talk about. I have tried to highlight writers in my reviews because I think that they are very important. Um, going forward, I was not doing that before. It was a misstep. And I actually had this in my notes before the strike happened. So I'm not doing a bandwagon thing where I'm now acknowledging writers. I had it in my notes before. I just want to throw that out there. Um, on record on record i was <laughs> with the writer struggle before the strike exactly two hours before the strike. exactly two hours before the strike uh yeah uh i think there was maybe rumors of it i don't know i feel like there was talks of this like a year ago of like yeah. some sort of strike happening and i think it's it's happening now because well, so let's stop talking about it because we're going to talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, so we'll dive more into that. Um, and then, and then I think the only other news we're going to be talking about is the uh, gaming news. It is the, uh, the Jedi survivor shenanigans that have been happening. I, uh, I, I'm not, too sure if you are familiar with what has happened yes yes it is it is uh typical ea behavior uh or really, any major studio behavior uh, that's true <laughs> yeah uh, most triple a studios seem to neglect their pc ports now it's just kind of a feature at this point yeah it's weird it's like the reverse cyberpunk problem where like yeah. PS4s and, like, consoles could not play that game, but, like, people on really high-end PCs could play Cyberpunk when it came out. Not well. It was still buggy, but they could play it. Um, and now it's, like, the reverse, where now consoles can kind of play most AAA games and the PC ports 
take a really long time to get fixed. Um, I know we didn't talk about this when it happened, but like the same thing just happened with that Last of Us port. Um, so it's not just an EA thing. Good studios are guilty of this too. Um, probably should have saw this coming because I think both the Last of Us and this game were delayed. Um, so yeah, it's and it's it's especially shitty, especially for this one. I will say. The Last of Us, I believe, was was that seventy dollars on Steam. Mm, let me check. I feel like it probably was. I feel like it was too, which that okay. Oh, it's, that, it's sixty. Oh okay. Still, uh, still that that's a full yeah. price game. Yeah. Uh, this one is also a full price game, but the deluxe version is ninety dollars. Um, so yeah, you're paying nearly a hundred dollars for a broken game at at launch. If you're getting the PC version, um, I got it on PS five. I have been relatively, it's been pretty fine on, on my end. I, I think the game may have crashed once, maybe twice. Um, but relatively I have made it through unscathed. I think I, I may have finished the game. Uh, I haven't gotten to the epilogue yet. I was trying to finish it today before doing the podcast, but I didn't quite have enough time before getting in here. I think I beat the final boss and now I just have to, uh, do a cutscene stuff. Um, but yeah, I won't talk too much about it just because the game is very new. I'll give it a week or so. Uh, but I wanted to talk about how the release cadence seems to not favor PC players, which granted is probably the hardest port to nail down just because there's so many different combinations of setups when you're making a PS5 port, there's one hardware configuration for every single PS5 um, or Xbox or, or Nintendo Switch, whatever. But when when you're dealing with PC stuff, it gets a little more um, finicky uh, depending on what people are running. And what's weird is that it seems like most of the people affected by this on PC that I have seen have had really high-end PCs. So I don't know if it's a... For some reason, sometimes this happens. We're like mid to like low-end PCs playing at like the lowest graphics. They can kind of play a game when sometimes the really high-end stuff like still fails at launch. I'm not sure why that is. I've seen that happen a couple times. Um... But, yeah, it's just a little unfortunate that this is becoming a pattern. I expected this from EA. Should probably throw that out there. Um, but Respawn, they make good games. They made Titanfall 2, for Pete's sake. And Apex Legends. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I did really enjoy it. It's a pretty good game. Uh, it's unfortunate that it isn't running for a lot of people. So, I don't know. Give it a couple months, and then I would say it's it's probably worth it. But as it stands right now, hold off. If you are a PC gamer, hold off. Um, 
I think that's it for news stuff. Uh, I think we're going to sandwich in music here. I don't know. But you said you don't have any music. Uh, uh, nothing really happened this week. Okay. I think Jack Harlow released an album that he some did. people said was good and some people said wasn't good. I don't know. I'm not listening to Jack Harlow. I'm no. sorry. Um, yeah, that's that came out. I think the new Indigo D'Souza record came out, which is somewhat of interest to me. I might check that out soon. Um, I, I did like her last record quite a bit. We did see her live. We cool. did. Um, so I might check that out. Um, other than that, oh, Jesse Ware released her new album as well. Um, so that might also be pretty good. It's getting pretty good reviews. So that might be one to add to my wheel for the main channel. Oh, so okay. There we'll go. get some disco in there. How about Ooh, that? Ooh, that'd be fun. Um, I do want to listen to her last record as well. Um, I think I have that on my list still, or it's on the wheel or something. Um, but yeah, so that'll probably be interesting. Um, I think we got the new Billy Woods album coming out this Friday, so I'll have a lot to talk about next week, probably. But other than that, I think that's it. I don't think there was any big news. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Was the Frank Ocean being replaced by a Blink-182 thing <laughs> last week or the week before? <laughs> he was replaced by Blink-182. Yeah, for like the second weekend of Coachella or whatever. Oh. Um... And then... Blink-182 said psych, and then they went back, I think, again. Wait, really? So I don't know what happened with that. Wow. I have no idea. I was not clued in past the past the one headline I saw that uh, Frank Ocean's out of Weekend 2 and Blink-182 was replacing his headline, <laughs> which is <laughs> really weird. That is, uh, there's not a lot of crossover there. No, not at all. <laughs> But, yeah, I think that's pretty much it when it comes to music. Oh, boy. Okay. It's a slow year. It's a slow year. What's going on? I mean, I could be listening to, like, every single new release that comes out and probably find some good stuff to talk about, but I'm not going to do that. I listened that, to that little Yachty weird. record. Yeah. It was really good. I love it. Yeah, I don't... Survive. <laughs> I was listening to it at work, and I'm like, well, I don't. I'm surprised this is Lil Yachty, mm -hmm. which I know you said when you when you talked about it when it came out. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. I was surprised. Yeah. I gotta put it back in rotation now that it's getting warm outside. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been slow. It's been slow. It's I have been not listened slow. to anything else, I don't think. I've been listening think. to that Carolyn Polachek record. Yes, me too. Um, since we've been, since we did that on the channel, um, which is very good. Very, very good. Um, enjoying reading all the comments that you guys have been leaving on that one. Real. Nice insights. It's nice to uh, <laughs> have a video that people like we're waiting for i feel like it's been a while we've been going in like really different routes every week yeah we've been going all over the place and then we had to take that new release detour granted a lot of people were waiting for that boy genius one. Oh yeah for sure that yeah. was a fun detour that was a fun detour yeah i've rated or at least put in um 13 albums this year so far and we're almost halfway through the year <laughs> oh no which is <laughs> Not a lot compared to last year. I don't know how many I did last year, but it was over 50. So. Oh. Okay, weird. Wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. 
maybe I just need to go back and listen to all the new stuff. But all the stuff I'm interested in is either on my wheel or like has not come out yet. So, see, that's the trick. This is unfortunate about doing this music review stuff. Yeah, gotta hold off on wanting and listening to stuff because you want to make content about it. Exactly, and my uh, thoughts are more precise and accurate on the main channel, anyways. But I will report any new, new uh, news or anything here. There you go. Or albums I we won't listen to on the channel. So. Right away. Right away. <laughs> At least. Maybe in two years, someone will suggest yeah. it. They'll get picked up on the fan wheel. Okay. Um, well, it's not been a slow year for movies. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to get picked up. Um, I watched three movies, uh, Granted, two of them came out in the 90s, uh, but one of them is new. I did watch Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Aster flick, three hours of uh, indulgent, uh, psychedelic, surrealist, um, unreliable narrator trash, and I think I loved it. I don't know. I think I'm going to talk about that one last because it's the one that I I have a really hard time talking about and I'm going to try not to spoil it because it is a new movie. Like it just got its really Brand wide new. release. Uh, what was that? Brand new. Brand new. Brand new. Um, at least in my area, um, I saw it was the first weekend I saw it. So it, it, it's been playing in New York and LA and then it was a selective wide release for a week. And then it was a wider release a week after, at least here in the States. I don't know what it's like other places, but yeah. Uh, so I did go see that. I think next week I'm going to go see that guardians of the galaxy movie just because I love James Gunn. These Marvel movies, they keep finding ways to pull me in and I'm always disappointed but James Gunn has not let me down. When it comes to superhero movies, he's like the only one doing something different. And the poster for Guardians 3 is so weird, I'm in. Um, it doesn't look generic like every other Marvel movie does. Um, and I, I, my, my guess is that it's because of James Gunn's influence. So I will go see that. I know it's the last Guardians movie, and then... Well, it's probably the last Marvel thing James Gunn is going to do, period. Or the last Marvel movie I'll watch besides Spider-Verse. Well, that doesn't even count. That's not even that an MCU even thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of any new Marvel stuff that's necessarily interesting to me. Um, I'll probably watch the new Spider-Man if... if and when a new Spider-Man... I mean, not an if. There is going to be a new Spider-Man movie. There's always going to be a new Spider-Man movie. But I can't say I'm particularly interested in any of Marvel's offerings, like like the Marvels or... Um, I can't even... What else? Blade? I'm, uh, I'm kind of interested in Blade. <laughs> Blade's awesome. If it's rated R, I'll go see Blade. If it's rated PG-13, I will not go see Blade. Because that's the whole appeal of the first, like, Blade movies, is that it's a rated R 
Marvel movie. I guess Deadpool is kind of that too. But uh, I don't know. It's just an awesome. Wesley Snipes in a black trench coat and shades slicing up vampires. It's like the coolest thing in the whole world. Um, I know he's replaced by Mahershala Ali, but Mahershala Ali in a black trench coat with shades slicing up vampires with a samurai sword. That's awesome, too. I, I like Mahershala Ali a lot. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I know there's been some uh, internal problems with that movie. Um, I think... Uh, uh, I believe the original writer-director had to leave um, in classic Marvel fash- fashion over creative differences... Which, uh, if you know anything about how Marvel operates, that means he wanted to make his own movie. With he a, wanted to make his own project. He wanted to make an original movie. And Marvel said, no, no, no. You have to have this tie-in, and you have to include this and this. And he was like, no. And now they're going to recruit some bright-eyed, bushy-tailed indie darling to come in and direct Blade. Um, who will do anything they want because they want a big movie to put on their IMDb page to get their own big project, a one-for-me, one-for-them type thing. Not exploitative at all. Not exploitative. There should not be a strike about it. not creepy. This (laughs) is normal. This is normal. Um, Yeah, it's weird. And it's almost exclusively Marvel that's doing this. Um. Even in, like, when DC was putting out shitty movies, they were at least keeping their filmmakers there. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, Zack Snyder... Well, well, okay. The Justice League is different. That's not creative differences um, why Zack Snyder was replaced. I'm just going to throw that out there because I know someone's going to bring it up because... Zack Snyder fans, they're like, have you like the those like bots in the Matrix with like all those squid things that like fly through the, the yeah. like yeah, they're like that where they they're just constantly looking for anybody who mentions Zack Snyder in a negative way. It's like those tweets when like someone puts like a certain keyword in and then all of a sudden you get like thirty seven <laughs> bot replies. <laughs> yes, I I jokingly brought up Zack Snyder in a uh, tweet. And I got retweeted by like a yeah. Save the Snyderverse uh, retweet bot. So, um, yeah, they're out there and they're scary. And now that Twitter puts all like the, the people <laughs> that paid $8 for a social platform at the top of the list, <laughs> you just get all the brain dead takes it's at the true. top no matter what. Yeah. It's absolutely ruined the site. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're definitely circling the drain there. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, no, Zack Snyder was not kicked off the Justice League. There was a unfortunate tragedy in his family. That's why he was replaced by Joss Whedon. I'm sure the studio was, well, I don't want to say the studio was like not grateful for that because I'm sure that, that the people working with Zack were, you know, not, not grateful that this tragedy happened, but, um. I, I don't think they were too mad that Joss Whedon was willing to come in because he did those Avengers movies. Those were good. And then and then he made Justice League. So 
Yes. Uh, Marvel is very predatory in their practices, but they sometimes let James Gunn do his own thing. Um, every once in a while, he's the (laughs) exception. I don't know why. Uh, I guess they just like took a chance on him. Be like, look guys, we can have an original thought. It wasn't even theirs. Like seriously, like James Gunn was just like, Hey, what if I make a movie with this like property that nobody cares about, Mm -hmm. but I think I can do something with it. And Marvel was like, okay, whatever. Like, okay, sure. You made super and those Scooby-Doo movies. I'm sure you can make a Marvel product. And then he made the guardians of the galaxy movies. And now everyone likes the guardians of the galaxy. Um, so they, they tend to leave him alone. Um, they leave Taika Waititi alone too. And that may be the problem (laughs) is that I think Taika Waititi just doesn't care anymore. Uh, at least with that new Thor movie. Um, which is, which is funny to me. Um, but yeah, I will go see guardians three. I might watch the holiday special. I did not watch that. Um, I don't know if I have to. If I don't have to, I won't. <laughs> but um, I think that is written and directed by James Gunn, too. So it's probably pretty good. So I don't know. But uh, I think the first movie I'm going to be talking about is I watched the South Park movie. Uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Why did you do that? Um, well, my girlfriend really likes South Park. So we watched it and I I'll say she didn't even like it. <laughs> um, so I'll get my, my spiel out of the way. It's directed by Trey Parker, written by Trey Parker, Matt Stone and Pam Brady. And it is starring Trey Parker, Matt Stone and others. I, that's all I have in me. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. Um, it's South Park. <laughs> it's South Park, and I'm not a big fan of South Park. I feel like a lot of the humor is like, oh, are we pushing your buttons? Um, it's kind of like the equivalent of like what a 16-year-old will do when they discover Twitter and they just like make edgy jokes um, that aren't really funny. But it's funny because you can't say that. That's politically incorrect. You can't say that. Um, Which, uh, you know, going back to James Gunn, you can do that. And it can be funny, but you also have to have a point. And it feels like that the point of the show is to make people mad. Which is not funny. There are some pretty good South Park episodes, but I feel like it's few and far between. You have to, like, kind of pick them out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Humor that is made to, um, like piss people off or I don't know. It's not funny. I I think SNL is a good example of how that works. Where like, like, I feel like a lot of people bring up SNL, like modern SNL and be like, Oh, I wish when they weren't I wish they weren't political. They didn't used to be political. Yes, they were. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but like the difference between modern the SNL is you didn't want to jump off of a bridge back <laughs> Right. Well, the difference was their approach. They yeah. were making political jokes and they were making jokes about people that they were not fans of. Like they had, you know, jokes about George Bush or Sarah Palin, um, stuff like that. But like the difference is, is that like, uh, those people like came on the show, like Sarah Palin went on SNL after they made fun of her. Um, I don't know if George Bush went on SNL. I doubt it. (laughs) Um, um, but yeah, the attitude was just different and, it felt like that they were like in the 2000s or I guess early 2010s before orange man, bad humor kind of crept into SNL, the best kind. kind. Um, they, I mean the, the jokes were just funnier. They were not meant to piss people off. It was, it was at their expense. Sure. But it was not, just like, oh, are we pushing your buttons? Because <laughs> I feel like every single sketch that SNL did about Trump was just so that they could get him to tweet about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, yeah. So this, it's not my thing, um, which I feel like I'm definitely in the minority. Um, even on Letterboxd, which is, you know, the pretentious film website, uh, the South Park movie is like really, really highly rated. Um, it's sitting at a three point seven, um, but most people have given it four stars out of five on the website, um, which is kind of crazy to me. And I get, I get that humor is subjective. A lot of people really like this. It just was not very good to me. Um, it was also kind of weird that it was a musical. I don't know if anyone is talking about that. I feel like these guys just wanted to make a musical. <laughs> so they did. Cause I don't think South Park ever was a musical before this movie. Um, yeah, I don't think it was so. that one song with Timmy. That's the only South Park song. I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, it was kind of weird. I, I, the whole time, I'm like, these guys wanted to make the Book of Mormon so bad. Like, they should have they should have just did it. And then they did do it. But I feel like this was, like, them venting. Like, uh, we want to uh, make a musical. Which is funny, because the music in this movie got nominated for Best Original Song. And you'll never guess who it was beaten by. What year did this come out? 1999. It was Phil Collins for Tarzan. Ah, yes. <laughs> the most uneven matchup of all time. Because um, the Tarzan soundtrack is fantastic. Um, and the straight up, I thought that all the music was awful. Um, there was, and, and maybe it's because everyone singing it was doing an obnoxious voice. And maybe the music was fantastic, but... Yeah, I was just not a fan. I feel like, what's, didn't I just talk about a musical last week? Cabaret, yeah. That one was also one where I did not really care for the music. I needed to watch a musical that has good music in it again, just so that Impossible. I can remember. <laughs> There's plenty of musicals that have good music. 
but I'm uh, anti-musical. I know you're anti-musical. Um, I need to watch La La Land or something again because that one is. I mean, I feel like the whole movie is resting on that good music. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about South Park. I I gave it two stars. Um, that could go lower, honestly. I was not a fan of this at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, the second movie I watched, um, we're doing a complete 180 because I gave, I guess, spoilers. Not spoilers, but spoilers for this review. I, uh, gave this movie five stars. Uh, I watched Malcolm X. Um... Yeah, uh, written and directed by Spike Lee, uh, co-written by Arnold Pearl and Alex Haley, starring, of course, Denzel Washington in the titular role. Angela Bassett plays, I forget what Malcolm X's wife's name is, but she plays his wife. Al Freeman Jr., Albert Hall, Spike Lee, because, of course, and Giancarlo Esposito. He doesn't have a big role. He plays, um, he plays the assassin that kills Malcolm X. Um, so he's only in the movie for like the last three minutes or so. He just has to be a villain again. He always is. Um, he always is. But he was in um, Do the Right Thing, which is um, another um, Spike Lee movie. I also gave five stars. Um I think every single Spike Lee movie I've seen, I've given five stars. He might be my favorite filmmaker now um, because I also gave Black Klansman five stars because that movie is also phenomenal. Um, But yeah, Giancarlo Esposito and Do the Right Thing, he is the insider of the the main conflict in the movie, Um, which is kind of weird because he has like big thick rimmed glasses like his eyes are like really magnified in that movie um so it's kind of weird seeing him like that um in this movie he's more like how i know him a villain who kills malcolm x um yeah i have a lot i have more to say about this movie than i do south park um, I, you know, I wanted to talk about my history with Spike Lee. I kind of already did it. Um, I am a very, very big fan of Spike Lee's directing. Um, he's a pretty good writer too. I think his dialogue is, it's nothing to like, it's not, it's not like phenomenal, but it's also nothing like, um, it's not bad. It's not bad. It carries the story, but I think he's definitely more of a big picture type guy. I think Chris Nolan is the same way. Um, but Spike Lee, I think is a better big picture guy than Chris Nolan is. I feel like Chris Nolan gets bogged down in pretentious sci-fi ideas too much. Spike Lee, his ideas are very simple. Um, or at least do the right thing and black Klansmen are very simple. This movie's a little different it is based on Malcolm X's autobiography. Um, it's like, 
His autobiography as told to someone else. I don't I don't know the title of it, but it's based on Malcolm X's own accounts of his life. Um, it is a really long movie. It's uh, I have it as two hundred and two minutes. That is three hours and twenty two minutes. So it's really long. Um, and I'm gonna be honest. I did take a break about halfway through. I feel like you kind of need to with a movie this long. Um, I'm a big fan of intermissions. I feel like we need to bring those back, especially for the next movie, Bo is Afraid, um, because these movies are too G-dang long, and I feel like movies are only getting longer. Like, we just got... It was just announced... We're not really going to talk about Spider-Verse, but the new Spider-Verse movie is going to be two hours and 20 minutes. It just feels like every single movie is, like, over two hours now and i just yearn for the days of a 90 minute classic you know um but i feel like those days are long gone um but this movie it encapsulates malcolm x's whole life so i feel like the runtime is justified um i wanted to bring up um, there was some controversy surrounding this movie a couple weeks ago when Daniels, the direct, writer and directors of um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, they did their Criterion Collection Closet Pick video on YouTube where Daniel Scheinert, uh, he selected Malcolm X as one of his best movies of all time and said it was his favorite crime saga film. And people were upset because um, Malcolm X is not a criminal. He was. Um, and that's that's a pretty big portion of the movie, but it's not the majority of the movie. But I watched the video, and I feel like people are taking that clip out of context because he is nervous as hell throughout the entire video. So I... I don't entirely blame him for that. And he has since like apologized and was like, yeah, no, I misspoke. Um, I feel like people kind of disregard the impact that a camera can have on people. And it, I know like some people like know that they're camera shy or whatever. Um, and they think that like, Oh, people working in movies, they can't be because, you know, they make movies. They're, they're on cameras all the time. Um, but I don't think... Uh, Daniel Shiner is in everything, everywhere, all at once, but in a very... He's like an extra. He plays the guy who um, is, is like... He's like the CEO guy who gets, uh, like, dominatrixed, where he likes getting, uh, like, the BDSM stuff on him. That's Daniel Shiner. That's the director insert, um, which I... I admire quite a bit. Um, but yeah, you could tell that he was pretty nervous in that video. Um, his other picks were pretty based though. I mean, Malcolm X is a pretty based pick too, but um, uh, yeah, I feel like both of their picks were pretty good. Like Daniel Kwan, like picked Jackie Chan movies. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to see. Um, but yeah, uh, 
He's about 33% right, though, because, like, the first hour of the movie is um, Malcolm X's life before prison. Um, So, like, he was working with criminal organizations in... um, Well, first he started in New York and Boston, I think, and then he ended up going to Detroit. That was where I believe he got sentenced and where he served his jail sentence was in Michigan. And then he became a Muslim in jail and then joined the, is it just the nation of Islam? Is that what the organization is called? Nation of Islam. Yeah. Nation of Islam. Um, and then he became like national minister and then the nation kind of turned against him once he became too popular um, also his, I think he, he had a statement when JFK, JFK was killed when he was like, um, it's basically like chickens coming to roost insinuating that another white devil has been taken to white devil hell or something. Um, incredibly based, very based. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, JFK is not that bad. Um, he's bad, but if we're, if we're rating bad skills, (laughs) he's still bad. I'm not, I'm not going to elaborate on this. Yeah. Um, so, but the nation of Islam didn't want him talking about that. They didn't want to speak anything negative towards JFK because a bunch of people liked him. So once that happened, then he kind of got kicked out, um, became his own thing, became a civil rights, um, speaker um and then he was eventually killed by the nation of islam in 1965 um i can't read the official synopsis that hbo max had but i thought it was um really good let me see if i can find it i should have written it down um but like the yeah the entire thing was just this is the a biographical telling of the life of Malcolm X, who was assassinated on February 21st, 1965. And that is the entire synopsis. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the most spikely thing ever to like, the only thing you tell is that he dies. Uh, and like the date he died and having that be like the only thing he tells you having that be like the most important thing. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into the specifics of this movie. Um, but I want to highlight the opening shot is phenomenal. Um, I feel like I, you hear this a lot when it comes to movies where it's like the most important two shots in a movie are the first and last ones. Um, that is certainly true for this movie. Um, the f- opening shot is just an American flag. And it just like, um, it's a cut of American flag. And then it like intercuts like news footage of, I believe it's him, uh, the real Malcolm X speaking and like video footage of like cops, uh, putting down protesters and stuff. And then it's cutting back to the American flag and it's like on fire and it just keeps going back and forth until the only thing that's left in the American flag is an X. Um, and then the movie starts. Um, 
it's really great. If if you have not seen the movie, I would highly recommend just looking at that clip because it's very, very good. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to performances. I feel like this is definitely the best performances I've seen in a Spike Lee movie. Um, Denzel Washington absolutely knocks it out of the park as Malcolm X. Um, because he basically not, I mean, he has to act like a real person, um, which can, it's very, very difficult to be a real person, uh, or someone who has, uh, you know, existed, um, playing a real person is very difficult. And I feel like there's really only two ways you can do it right. You can either go absolutely 100% accurate, um, like Daniel Day-Lewis and, and Lincoln, or, um, oh boy, I'm trying to think of, like, Frost Nixon. Um, I forget who played Nixon in that one. But he went, like, 100% Nixon impersonation, wanted to get, like, 100% down. And that's the one that Denzel Washington does, too. It also doesn't hurt that Denzel Washington already kind of looks like Malcolm X. Like, they have the same kind of head shape. Um, they don't look like identical in any way but similar enough to where it wasn't distracting um i feel like the other way you can go is to not even try um to do like the voice or anything and then just kind of like just give like a kind of generalized impression um which I feel like that's that's easier to pull off, and I feel like that's the smarter move if you aren't talented enough, um, which not a lot of people are. Um, but Denzel Washington is. He's fantastic. Um, and he, he definitely, like, you can see the transformation that Malcolm has in prison. You can see that through his performance, um, the way he acts, after prison, once he becomes a minister for the Nation of Islam, is drastically different than his performance in the first hour of the movie. Um, so keeping that straight must have been insanely difficult. Um, and I, I think the other performances are great too, but they're also just playing like one, one person, one personality, which is easier than what Denzel Washington had to do. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Spike Lee's performance in this movie. Um, Spike Lee is a surprisingly really great actor. He kind of self-inserts himself in a lot of his movies. Um, but that's not a bad thing because he's really good. Um, he plays um, Malcolm X's like partner in crime for like the first hour. And he's in it quite a bit. Um, he obviously kind of drops off after Malcolm X is imprisoned, but Spike Lee is fantastic, as always. So wanted to give a little bit of a little nod over there to Spike Lee. Um, oh, I also forgot to bring up that this was uh, in the opening credits before the American flag uh, gets burnt. It says a Spike Lee joint, which was it kind of felt out of place, but... Um, it's with the charm. Um, I don't know when he stopped doing that. Um, 
I feel like even in when did Malcolm X uh, the movie come out? Uh, 1992. Okay, that wasn't lame. I feel like there was a point where like saying joint, like oh this is a blank joint, like that definitely, you know, fell out of fashion pretty soon after the 90s. I would say. Um, but yeah, so I'm not going to talk about the bulk of the movie. I feel like the movie kind of speaks for itself. I would highly recommend it, obviously. Um, I want to give a little, I want to talk a little bit about the ending, um, because the ending, uh, is, I mean, obviously it's Malcolm X getting assassinated. Um, the way that they do it is, I would say it's very tasteful, um, and how they do it. So like they, they have him shot and then there's like a long shot of like his wife just kind of like crying. And then it cuts into real footage of, of Malcolm X in his life. And then it's while this footage of Malcolm X is playing, there's interviews from people who knew him, um, which is really good. Um, and then it cuts to like classrooms of people of a, I want to say like an inner city American classroom. Um, and then it cuts to, um, I I guess a South African classroom because, um, Nelson Mandela is in this movie, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, I didn't expect him to be in it, but yeah, the end of this movie, he plays like this classroom teacher in South Africa who's basically talking about how Malcolm X's ideas um, kind of influenced his own stuff in South Africa, which is, I don't know. It, it felt kind of weird, and I know that Mal- or Nelson Mandela lived... Um, you know, well after this point, but it's just kind of crazy to see him in this movie. And I know that Spike Lee is not, um, a stranger to including civil rights leaders in his movies. Um, Harry Belafonte is in, um, Black Klansman. Um, so yeah, uh, it was, it was kind of cool to see him in this movie. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, phenomenal movie uh i don't it definitely i think it definitely gets talked about in the spike lee um filmography but uh not enough because it's three and a half hours but that time really like went by fast like it did not feel like a three and a half hour long movie at all um and yeah i had to take a break but that's the only reason I took a break was because I, I mean, I had to eat dinner. Um, otherwise I would have watched through the entire thing. Um, so unfortunately it's not on HBO max anymore. Just got removed. Um, that's why I wanted to watch it. I literally watched it the day they took it off because I, I was like, I want to watch this one out of all the movies that are getting removed today. I want to watch this one, make sure I see it. Um, before, you know, it goes off into some other streaming service I don't have. Um, so yes, 
very, very high recommendation for me. Um, and now let's talk about Bo is Afraid. Um, uh, another hard right turn. Um, written and directed by Ari Aster, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, and Patti Lapone. Um, I'm going to have a really hard time talking about this movie, and I probably won't get into a lot of the details, just because it is very new. Um, but I, you know, whatever. Um, I have a very, my relationship with Ari Aster is, I would say very, very, I, I admire him a lot. And I would say that he is probably, um, my like most, uh, anticipated new arrival on the scene. Hereditary and Midsummer are probably two of the best modern horror movies. Um, I've absolutely loved his kind of venture into elevated horror, which more or less means nothing, but it's it's a return to a more allegorical and grounded approach to horror, which I really appreciate. Um, I absolutely despise the jump scare factory that horror became, I want to say post, mm, I want to say post like conjuring and like paranormal activity to a lesser extent. Um, I think they really picked up after insidious and then it was just like everything. Um, and I think that that really died after that second it movie where they're still making these, you know, jump scare factory movies. Like I just saw the trailer for, I I saw the trailer for that new evil dead movie and I was just so sad (laughs) because, because of what that franchise was. Um, it used to be so original and creative and how it was shot and the trailer just made it look like another generic horror movie getting pumped out by Blumhouse or any of these other studios. Um, I think A24, what they've done with horror and popularizing this kind of artsy stuff, um, I've really appreciated that. Um, Ari Aster is not alone in this, but I think he's the one that's doing it the best. Um, But this movie is straight up not a horror movie, I'll say. Um, So don't go into it with that expectation. It feels like a David Lynch movie. And I think I mean that as a compliment. I'm not usually a big fan of David Lynch's stuff. But, um, yeah, I I did not expect Ari Aster to go full on into surrealist stuff. Um, So... Yeah, we'll talk about that. I also want to talk about the short film. I talked about this short film when I did my deep dive on him, um, probably like last fall. Um, I watched Hereditary and then I watched all his short films in midsummer over the course of a week. Um, I've never had a deep dive moment like that with a director until Ari Aster, um, 
I find his work very, very um, exciting. It's just so fresh. Um, and I forgot about this. I was looking through his short films just because I was looking at his filmography before seeing this movie, and I saw the short film called Bo. And I'm like, is this related to Bo is Afraid? And it is, kind of, but the short film is like the first 10 minutes of this new movie. Um, uh, yeah, Bo, it's, it's a little movie about a, or a little short film about a guy who has some, I want to say like paranoid schizophrenia. It's never like explicitly said. Um, and I don't generally like diagnosing people if, um, it wasn't like their intent to show this, um, disorder or something, whatever, uh, disability. Um, but I mean, like it's, it's clearly going for that. Um, when it, when we talk about, I want to talk about the movie. I know I was going to talk about the short film, but it's pretty much just the beginning of the movie. I want to talk about the beginning of the movie because it is, I'm, I'm going to say that this movie is weird a lot because it is. I honestly don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it. I think the message is a little bit muddled. Um, the, the, the ending was very confusing. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of it. Um, I probably need to watch it more. And although it's three hours long, it's one that I'm kind of excited to go back and rewatch. Um, the movie opens up, Bo is in therapy, he's talking to his therapist, um, Bo is getting ready to go on a trip, he's going to see his mother, um, and as he's walking home, it is like, every like stereotypically, like bad person, or like a bad idea, thing all of your like anxieties as you're walking outside those intrusive thoughts where you're like oh wouldn't it be bad if like there was a murder going on right now like pretty much everything every bad thing that could possibly happen is happening on his walk home but he seems unfazed there's like a 15 year old with an ak-47 there's like people getting chased there's like a guy getting his ga- his eyes gouged out on like the the sidewalk. There's like a guy that's like fully tatted and pierced and he's got like his eyes tatted so they're like all black, like chases Bo. Um but like for the most part before that, he seems unfazed and there's like all this crazy stuff. So like right away it's like okay, is this a unreliable narrator? Are we seeing his anxiety? And it's never really explicitly said, but I think that's what it's going for. But that does kind of bring the entire movie into question. Um, there are like many moments in the movie that reference the past or the future events in a way that doesn't make sense for a grounded movie to happen. Um, so like 
I'll, I'll just say this. This isn't a spoiler, like a big spoiler, but it's the like inciting incident. So if you want to go in knowing absolutely nothing, I would say maybe maybe sit this part out. Um, but the inciting incident is that Bo's mother is found dead. Um, and there is a shot of Bo on the phone and he just kind of freezes. That picture shows up later in the movie at an undisclosed location. I, w- I will not say where, but there's a, it is like a frame from the movie that is framed on the wall in another a location in a, in a way that doesn't make sense. Bo also at one point is looking, scrubbing through security footage and he like goes back. He, re- he rewinds the footage to look at, you know, what he just, what just happened. But then he presses fast forward to get back caught up and it goes past where we are right now. Um, we're seeing future events to the point where it actually shows the last frame of the movie. Um, so we're like full on, we're full on in a surrealist artsy movie. I think, and I saw this with my girlfriend. I did not drag her to this. I gave her like five outs, like throughout the, the couple weeks before I was like, are you sure? I am not going to make you see this movie. It's three hours long. It's going to be weird. And she's like, I like artsy stuff. Uh, she's not really like this movie. Um, but I, I saw this with her, um, um, which I thought was kind of interesting because I asked her about it once it was finished. And she's like, I have no idea why this was made. And I'm like, Grant, yes, um, I could see that. Um, because I don't know what it's about. I don't know what the message is. Um, and she doesn't really like surrealist stuff. She doesn't really like, this is going to sound weird. She doesn't like conflict in the plot. She doesn't like a lot of like movies or TV that is too anxiety producing, which I, you know, fair. She would not do well with Breaking Bad. Um, unfortunate. Unfortunate. Because uh, she really wants to go to Albuquerque. Um, mm, me too. Yeah, she wants to see the balloons. Uh, there's a big balloon festival. I want to see the statue. Oh, I want to see the statue. I was just going to drive by the Breaking Bad house and get yelled that at. Yeah. Throw a pizza on a roof over the 10-foot... over the house. <laughs> crash of <plane. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I also thought it was really funny because she just she compared this movie to The Whale... Um, in, in that nothing good happens to our main character, which is true. Um, but the whale is very contained. It's very grounded. Um, I mean, it's adapted from a stage play. So the entire thing takes place in, in, um, his apartment. This movie is a little more, it's more of a trek It's kind of, I don't want to say it's a road trip movie, but it's definitely like a, we got to get across the country type movie. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's very surreal. Um, There is from the trailer, there is the moments where like Joaquin Phoenix is like in a, 
like a stage play or like there's moments where in the trailer, like you can definitely see there's like sets and stuff. Um, and that is a huge, like a pretty sizable portion of this movie is in this set in this play inside a movie but it's a play that's like inside a play it's like in Joaquin Phoenix's head and it goes on I think my girlfriend checked she was timing it because she was not a fan um but it went on for she said around 20 to 30 minutes um which I that was my favorite part of the movie um because it was its own kind of thing it was just weird enough, but it was also kind of grounded. It was kind of like telling this this story of a uh, a fictional person in the form of Bo and like his um, journey thus far. Um, but I would say like it's such a hard right turn from Midsummer, which I feel like is every white girl's favorite horror movie. You know. Um, like that movie is very mainstream. This movie, I'm straight up like not gonna recommend it to like the vast majority of people. I've never been so mentally exhausted watching a movie before. Um, so yeah, like straight up, most people are gonna hate this movie. And that seems to be like the 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 general consensus for this movie is very mixed. Um, I believe it's like the only time I've ever seen Rotten Tomatoes, the audience and the critics agree. It's like a low 70s on both. Um, I would say that's very fair. I understand. But I it was so well done. I'm not, again, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of it. I'm man enough to admit that. Um, because I don't know. And watching interviews with Ari Aster, he was like, I'm not going to say anything about this movie. I want people to go in completely blind, even like Joaquin Phoenix and like Nathan Lane, like they went on like Jimmy Kimmel and stuff to promote the movie. And they were being really weird and esoteric about it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a weird one. Um although it's not a horror movie, it does get disturbing. Um there are a few moments of gore, but it's nothing like uh either Hereditary or Midsummer. Um I think Hereditary has one of the most shocking gory moments I've ever seen. Um this movie keeps the gore to a reasonable level, although it, it, he, he does gore in such a way. I think it's practical, but it looks so real. Like you can tell that like practical effects have come such a long way. Um, and like how like models are used and how you can really get squibs to look real. Um, like, there's a moment pretty early on in the movie where Joaquin Phoenix gets his, like, hand stabbed a bunch of times. Like, he gets assaulted, and he, like, has his hand out in front of his face so that he doesn't 
gets stabbed in the face and his hand gets stabbed like three or four times, um, which is very disturbing because it looks so real. Um, but there's, it's, there's not like a paranormal element. I think everything that is paranormal is easily explained as his anxiety or his hallucinations. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, but I think if you're into artsy fartsy shit, I would recommend it. Um, I think I described it to my girlfriend as being just, just two notches below like the avant-garde, just completely, in my opinion, worthless garbage. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little more mainstream than that. Not a lot. Not a lot. We're in like David Lynch territory where, where there's a few moments of humanity um, and like you're rooting for these characters. You really like the characters, but uh, I don't know a single thing that is happening right now. Um, especially Eraserhead. I feel like this movie was heavily influenced by Eraserhead, um, which I did not like Eraserhead, but I think I like this one. So give it a shot. It's got a wide release if you're into that type of thing. Um, I would say Malcolm X is more of a crowd pleaser than Bo is Afraid, and that's saying quite a lot um, because I don't think Malcolm X is for everyone either. But... Uh, Yes, I would highly recommend Bo is Afraid and Malcolm X. I would say only watch South Park if you're into the show. I don't think, if you're not a fan of South Park, the movie's not going to change your mind for you on that one. Um, but I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say. I've said what I've said. And I, I hope don't I regret it. I don't. I don't care. I don't care if I get canceled on my stance on any of these movies. Yeah. You can cancel me for not liking the South Park movie. I don't care. I don't I don't think I said anything too controversial though. It's South Park. It's, I don't think <laughs> it's South Park. I, I I always have to be careful reviewing movies like Malcolm X just because I'm a white guy. Um, so I have to really make sure that my terminology and everything is on point. I don't want to come off as insensitive. Um, especially since I really, yeah, especially since I really like the movie. Not that I would be insensitive to movies that I don't like, but you know, there's that aspect to it. But I think with that, I think we'll throw it on over to Babby for unnamed, untitled, untitled, project. Uh, untitled political project. Mm hmm. Hmm. Maybe, possibly. I'm I did sure. see the Mario movie this weekend. Oh, good. Do you want to talk it about was... the Mario movie? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like a five out of ten. It. It. I left feeling nothing. That is exactly. My yeah, it's thoughts. like oh that happened. Yeah, that's that's literally my only thoughts about it. 
it's it was just so middle of the road where I'm like, I'm not mad that it exists, but at the same time, it's like, I didn't gain anything from this experience. I did like that it was 90 minutes, though. I, I did like that. Quickly. Yes. That's <laughs> that very maybe quick. the best part. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's not really a selling point you want to put on the no. box. No. The Mario Kart section was fun, I guess, but that that's pretty much it. I, I did not have much takeaway at all from that movie. Yeah, fair. I don't the, the best part is either. we saw it at Flix, so the tickets were double the price. So. Oh, that is the best part. Yeah, that was, that was my favorite part. <laughs> Do they have any Mario cocktails? They did have a, a Princess Peach beer that I did not get. Oh, Princess but, Peach beer. Was yeah, it just dyed pink? It was, no, it was like a light beer oh. with like a little bit of like a rose tint to it. Oh, okay. I don't even know exactly what it was, but I did not get it, unfortunately. I did not fall for the, the brand integration. <laughs> I'm sure the beer was like $20. I don't know. Yeah, probably. It's movie theater place. food. Yeah. yeah. Especially flicks. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Anyways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was my movie experience. Okay, great. <laughs> Biting criticism. Um, Very. Yes. This section is the new section of the podcast. I don't know what I'm calling it because it's kind of like a very broad area. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to put a pin on it. Um, basically I'm just picking a topic every week and then talking about it. Um, they're going to be like, you know, anti-imperialist, uh, kind of stances, uh, anti-corporation since we do talk about that a lot. Um, and I've just been kind of like absorbing so much theory and learning and a whole bunch of random stuff for like the past eight or so months. So, uh, I'm ready to talk about it on the podcast. There you Uh, go. Because there's too many ideas brewing in my noggin to not share them with people. Of course. Um, I'm going to try to relate most things back to media. This week is an exception. Um, but yes, this this was full biases aside. This will be a socialist analysis of random media things or concepts that tie into how we consume media and stuff like that. Um, just putting it out there. If that scares you, you can leave where, where it's, it's at the bottom. It's at the bottom of the podcast, so you're not going to miss miss anything um, if you click off now. Well, so, yeah, there's nothing after this. You are going to miss something, this. but you'll miss you'll miss stuff. But I mean, don't feel like tied to like you know. I'm not forcing you to do this. I'm not trying to change your mind or anything. I'm just providing new ways of thinking, um, and applying learnings because yeah, that's one half of you know, learning the things is telling people around you. Um, because especially in the U S we are like 30 steps behind in political literacy. Um, Mm -hmm. I am surprised every day about how disconnected Mm -hmm. (laughs) most people are from politics when they directly affect their lives, especially in a dying empire. Um, so, you know, we're gonna just, you know, do a broad range of topics. I'm going to try not to make it too heavy. Um, also kind of try not to lecture because that's boring and annoying and nobody likes that. Yes. There are other podcasts like that. If that's your style, I have millions of podcasts to recommend. So, um, yeah, this won't be like a Marxism one one either. There's better channels that do that more efficiently than I'd be able to, especially in this time frame because it's late. Um, and doing super complicated stuff would be kind of impossible unless I like wrote down everything I was going to say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty broad range. Um, There'll be sometimes, or like this one exactly, it will be like more of a history lesson. 
Uh, there'll be times where it's like in a more open topic. Um, we could talk about literally anything. So with that being said, um, we'll talk a little bit about the strikes, although I feel like I feel like we covered most of it. I don't have too much to add for these uh, WGA strikes. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how they develop, but obviously um, good for them for doing that. That does directly tie into my segment today. Uh, we're going to be talking about May Day. Um, mm. I did find it quite quite uh, amusing that they did decide to do this last night. Um, yes. We're starting at uh, midnight on May 2nd, um, which is perfect timing um, for my segment and just for you know May Day celebrations in general. Um, so yeah. I'm just going to give a brief history of May Day, what it actually is, because I feel like a lot of people in the U.S. don't even know what it is. I don't know. Um, exactly. So uh, this will kind of just be an intro segment. It should be, you know, not as heavy as other things, and this didn't take me as much time as other topics will. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, but, yeah, May Day uh, or International Workers' Day is kind of what in the U.S. we would call Labor Day. Not really. Um, I'll explain how it became Labor Day, um, but it's it's interesting because it's a labor holiday that started in the U.S. and is not celebrated in the U.S. Um, oh. Which is, you know, something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, I'm going to go all the way back to, like, right after the Civil War, and we'll just work our way forward. Um, so the first labor union that kind of popped up again in the U.S. was the National Labor Union, founded in 1866. Um, this kind of revived all of the smaller labor unions, um, th- like before the civil war. Um, obviously economies drastically change, uh, when you're doing wars, especially the civil war was especially bloody and insane for multiple reasons. Um, but this was like the first big labor union that kind of popped back up. Um, and they were kind of leading with the eight hour workday as their main kind of, um, goal, um, at this point, there was still child labor laws. It was still, you know, 10 to 12 to 14 hour days um, and the, during this period. Um, so basically, uh, these labor unions um, came up with this eight hour resolution um, and a whole bunch of smaller leagues kind of started popping up around the country, um, pushing for an eight hour day. Mm-hmm. And this gained a lot of traction to the point where um, these labor unions were invited to the first international, which is uh, left-wing socialist, Marxist, communist, whatever. Um, all of those encompassed kind of um, meeting that they ha- they held in Europe. Um, and this was kind of brought forward as the main selling point for the U.S. labor unions um, mm-hmm. and was quickly adopted by the rest of the international community. Um, Marx talked a lot about this too. Um, he has a great quote in Capital, I believe this is from, um, where he says, in the United States of America, any sort of independent labor movement was paralyzed, so as long as sl- slavery disfigured a part of the republic, labor with a white skin cannot emancipate itself, or labor with a black skin is branded. But out of the death of slavery, a new vigorous life sprang. The first fruit of the Civil War was an agitation for the eight-hour day. Um, mm-hmm. Basically saying that, like, immediately after the Civil War, um, class consciousness, like, kind of grew in the U.S. out of nowhere. Um Obviously, with industrialization um, and the, the move to the factory, um, horrible labor conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as the Civil War ended, it, he kind of called this intersectionality uh, very quickly, where it is like, yes, you need the entirety of the working class to make a movement like this. And they were immediately kind of getting to action with it, which is very surprising for U.S. labor because U.S. labor is historically um, suppressed incredibly effectively. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
which we will see very soon here. Um, but yeah, uh, while they spoke at this international, um, it kind of happened really quickly within like two weeks. Uh, this meeting in Baltimore of all the unions to propose this eight hour work day to the Congress uh, met in Switzerland and then they adopted a similar um, kind of decision. And all of a sudden this was a big kind of movement. Um, and there were, you know, strikes were starting to pop up around the U.S. for this. Um, and good old good old lawmakers were like, okay, we'll, we'll give you the National 8-Hour Law Proclamation. That was in 1869. Um, it gave workers an 8-hour day, but there were only government workers. Um, mm. So private-owned factories and all other businesses did not count for this. So that was not really a resolution at all. Mm. Um, so... Movements kind of started beginning growing. It kind of stagnated a little bit at this point until um, the first Great Depression kind of hit in um, uh, 1873, um, or the Long Depression, I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, it used to be the Great Depression, and then the Great Depression. Until the Great Depression, <laughs> yeah. which is like the second Great Depression, technically. Yeah. It's a World War II situation. Mm, um, right. <laughs> but this caused labor militancy to rise um, a bunch um, and this is where it started getting really, really hairy for um, the government. And we're like, how are we going to deal with this? Um, and they dealt with it with uh, force. Troops were repeatedly suppressing strikes. Um, a lot of these factories had private police at the time, mm-hmm. too. Um, so, yeah, not pretty at all. Um, but this was a moment of probably, like, some of the biggest class, con- class consciousness in the U.S. where they felt, they felt their class position um, and had an immediate goal. Um, so again, great organizing, like incredibly quick. Um, and these strikes kind of continued to grow all the way up until 1886, um, which is kind of when the first big Mayday, it's actually a a general strike. The Mayday general strike took place. Um, but just for context, kind of the strikes between 1881 to 1884, there was around 500 with about 150 workers participating, um, 1885, the year before the first Mayday strike, there was about 700. Um, and in 86, it doubled to 1,500 strikes with about 600,000 workers participating. So huge increase um, going into like a general strike. Um, so the first Mayday strike was kind of centered in Chicago. Chicago had like a very big like um, militant like left-wing labor movement, which was kind of like put together from a whole bunch of like socialist labor, labor parties and anarchist parties. Um, so, uh, on the day of May Day strikes, I think there were also huge turnouts in a lot of the industrial cities like Milwaukee and Pittsburgh and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, around half of them were successful and were able to get eight hour days. Others still got reduced, um, hours somewhat. It doesn't really give specifics of what it was, but it wasn't like, you know, a full eight hour resolution. Um. But this leads up to the Haymarket Affair on May 3rd and 4th of the same year. Um, This general strike lasted a few days, so, you know, we celebrate May Day on May 1st, but um, the Haymarket Affair is really what sparked the actual holiday to become a thing. Um, This was kind of an outgrowth of the May Day strikes, um, where on May 3rd uh, there were clashes and police brutality, which resulted in six worker deaths and a whole bunch injured. Um, So the protest took place on the 4th, um, which was peaceful until the police started attacking protesters and a bomb was thrown into the crowd. Uh, we do not know who threw the bomb to this day, um, but seven police were killed and four workers died. Mm. Um, they pinned the blame on eight anarchists. Um, 
and I, th- I believe seven, yeah, seven were sentenced to death. One served 15 years in prison. Um, this is the origin point for where Mayday kind of became um, adopted um, or like gained a lot of momentum. It wasn't officially declared until 1889 at the second international. Um, but yeah, it's it really just signifies uh, the struggle for, it was U.S. labor, but it did get co-opted by international labor. Um, I believe there is a statue in Chicago near this event um, that kind of pays tribute to the Haymarket Affair. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's kind of crazy that we don't really get taught a lot about a massive general strike happening in the U.S. with, like, a huge militant labor background to it, um, which sparked incredibly quickly. Um, I know Eugene Debs has brought up a lot, too. Um, but a lot of kind of European countries started to adopt this, and uh, Mayday strikes started happening pretty much every year, um, starting in 1890. Um, and they kind of, like, they kind of uh, expanded what um, it was supposed to be about. It was originally for the eight-hour day, um, but it also improved. It's just to kind of celebrate uh, improving working conditions, um, ensuring peace among nations. So basically it was... It was kind of co-opted as a larger kind of worker movement um, against bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was incredibly powerful in uh, influencing other strikes around the countries, um, specifically in Europe. Um, I know Lenin kind of viewed May Day as a great advantage to the Russian Revolution, constantly wrote about it. Um, the May Day strikes in Russia leading up to their revolution were absolutely insane. Um, they were like preparing six months in advance. Like it's kind of crazy. Um, Mm. but from here, it kind of gets a little interesting because this is where the hand of the state comes in even harder. Um, so within these labor unions, um, they were pretty militant. Um, but as always, the thing that always happens in these unions, um, historically and other areas is reformist and capitalist eventually make their way into the ranks, um, and effectively kind of muddy down the, um, the militancy of these groups. We kind of saw the same thing, same thing with Black Lives Matter um, leading yeah. up to the 2020 protests where people kind of got in, took advantage, and then you get people buying houses with donation funds. Um, it happens every time. It's incredibly frustrating and hard to deal with. Um, but, yeah, just to let it be known, um, this May, the May Day strikes were constantly getting kind of demilitarized. There was a lot of questioning in the ranks of like can't we move this to a sunday or like this should be a day off for reflection um when the original thing was supposed to be on may 1st they chose it in spring specifically because that's where the industries were the most busy um so it'd be the biggest effect on the factory owners Mm. um so moving it to a sunday and having them just take the day off and not strike is effectively killing the movement um right so there's constantly internal and external struggles during all of this um, and then this leads all the way up to 1894 with the Pullman strikes led by Eugene Debs. Um, this is something that you do learn in a push in school. So you do at least learn about the Pullman strikes briefly. I knew the name and, uh, brief stuff about it, but I did not know enough about it going into this. So I'm like, well, there's more here than just what we learned in a push. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, you'd expect, um, but this was the first time that federal troops were dispatched to a strike. Mm. Um, and 30 strikers were killed and about you know, 60 were wounded. 
um, effectively kind of killing the strikes. They did shut down the rail, uh, railroads for a few days. I believe Eugene Debs was imprisoned after this for a while. Um, but I'm not too sure on that. Um, but the interesting thing is directly after the strike, six days after, uh, Grover Cleveland, was, which was the president at this time, uh, designated Labor Day as a federal holiday. Um, mm. But they did not place it on the 1st of May. They placed it on the 1st of September. Um, this was in, this was uh, kind of in with the, the labor union's request that were now so many down that they kind of co-opted this and were like, yep, we'll go for a Labor Day in September. Um, so this basically suppresses the Haymarket affair um, and a huge militant part of U.S. labor history to the point where not many people know about this holiday at all. Um, it was actually on a Monday this year, so it kind of line, lined up exactly for May Day. Mm. Um, but yeah, this it completely suppresses the movement. Um, and like most U.S. holidays, it kind of just bubbles up into uh, you get a day off of work. <laughs> and yeah. there's no reflection whatsoever. Um, Furniture so. sales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people get Memorial Day and Labor Day confused because they're like kind of the bookends of summer. Um, yeah. But I yeah, know I do. This is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a prime example of just how far um, worker rights are suppressed in America specifically. Um, like with one swoosh of a pen, Congress was unanimous immediately where they're like, yep, federal holiday. Uh, let's get the, Let's get rid of this. So, yeah, this was definitely meant as a move to kind of remove momentum from, like, a very militant growing labor uh, party in the U.S. Um, and is still not talked about, you know, to this day in the U.S., um, which is strange because, like, over 90 countries, I think, celebrate May Day. Hmm. Um, I know Paris uh, definitely did a really great celebration le- uh, yesterday. Um, I think there was some cops on fire, uh, <laughs> you know. Good stuff. They've been doing great stuff in Paris for the past couple of months. Yeah, after yeah. Macron is uh, stepping aside Parliament to raise um, the retirement age, yes, um, which is extremely unpopular in in with the people and the government. Um, and if the French know how to do one thing, it's big, make baguettes and a strike. So. <laughs> Revolution. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes. So full support to them as always. Mm. Um, but the uh, maybe the biggest slap in the face is uh, there are two holidays on May 1st in the U.S. They're not federal holidays, but there are two holidays. Mm. One is Law Day, which is meant to reflect <laughs> on the role of law and the foundation of the country and to recognize its important for, importance for society. Mm. Um, very similar to Labor Movement Day. Um, or there's also Loyalty Day on May 1st, which is... Uh, a day set aside for the reaffirmation of loyalty to the United States and for the recognition of the heritage of American freedom. <laughs> Which is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's such a slap in the face for that to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just, just as a note of, like, countries that do so, uh, celebrate May Day, there's about 80 of them. Um, Cuba, Vietnam, China, DPRK, or North Korea, India, mm-hmm. et cetera. These are countries that have big emphasis on them. Um, I believe in China they get a three days off for May Day. Interesting. Um, uh, I know Vietnam has a lot of celebration for this as well, as well as Cuba, being mm-hmm. socialist states. Um, and some of the countries that don't recognize May Day, um, the U.S., the U.K., the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Israel, South Korea, et cetera. Um, hmm. I'll let you take what you want from that group of countries. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, that's just like a basic rundown of how Mayday became a thing. Um, it was probably jumbled and all over the place. I do not write very much. I take really weird notes and then I try to form them into sentences, but it's 1030 at night. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I just thought it was interesting because like this is not something that is ever brought up in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our holidays are commodities in general. Like there's yeah. not really a lot of holidays in the U.S. that don't involve buying things for someone <laughs> right. um, yeah, yeah. or sales for something. Yeah, besides the Fourth of July, where we just set off fireworks for some reason, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen to Juneteenth. Yeah, Juneteenth is definitely going to just be muddied down. Yeah, I think there was definitely some outcry when that became a federal holiday, um, because people know the history of how holidays work in this country. Yeah, they kind of just become a day off. So (laughs) yeah, I mean they're gonna you know it'll continue to go. I don't I don't think that holiday will eventually turn into just a mattress sale day. That's kind of the lowest rung of holidays in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but just know when the federal government puts in a holiday like that, it is not to actually commemorate it. Um, Juneteenth was a way to kind of uh, give some weird concession to the Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> it's not really a concession at all. Um, we're not going to make any change, but look, you can no. celebrate when we when the slaves were uh, yeah. abolished. The pinnacle of neoliberalism is uh, kneeling in their African garb in the center floor <laughs> and then passing a holiday and doing nothing else. Uh, yeah. It's really great stuff. But yeah, I just thought it was very interesting that the WGA and then immediately on May 2nd has called their strike. So um, yeah, it is definitely still something that is very looked upon and reflected um, in labor groups, uh, left-wing groups. So Definitely an important holiday, one that still definitely has, you know, some kind of power. Um, I did see a lot of, you know, kind of images yesterday of either socialist countries kind of like having parades and celebrations versus places like France who are currently in labor struggles. Yes. Um, so it is a holiday that is meant to commemorate struggle, but also engage in struggle um, and protest. So just a, a very interesting piece of U.S. labor history and holiday history in the u.s yeah yeah i um i did not know much about that um i while we're talking about labor strikes and militant forces uh like company uh police forces and stuff i'm gonna kind of spin this back to media there's a really great movie called Maytuan. um now, I believe this probably... Well, this was in 1920, so a little bit after what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that movie is about a labor union um, fighting militantly against a company police force uh, and, like, private detect... Like, Pinkertons-type yep. stuff um, and, uh, against, like... It was like a company town where you didn't get paid uh, in money. Yes. You got paid in uh, like coupons that you could use at the company store. Um, so it's a really great movie. If um, mm. what what we're talking about here uh, interests you, you want to learn a little bit more. Um, it's really great. Absolutely. It has, it has uh, James Earl Jones in it. So Hooray. there you go. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on company towns. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah. rough. Yeah. <laughs> it's also willing to note that Henry Ford was not the person that adopted the eight-hour workday eventually. Um, that was not, you know, 
how that happened. I was looking it up, and it kept citing kind of Henry Ford in the 1910s being like, I'm an adopting the eight-hour workday. Mm-hmm. Just know that he was not doing that out of the kindness of his heart. <laughs> he was doing that because he saw the militant uprisings and wanted a uh, wanted to reduce the t- turnover rate for his factories. Mm-hmm. So please just note that. <laughs> no, um, yeah. They're, Henry they're... Ford is a fascist who was <laughs> directly tied to Adolf Hitler. I believe Hitler gave yes. him some medals. Yeah, um, yeah. He also ran a company town that was absolutely awful, I believe in Brazil, because he wanted to get cheaper rubber. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, all around good that guy. Go well. Yeah, great guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad Ford's still a gigantic uh, company. Um, hey, but you know, but, American-made cars are superior in every other way to yeah. foreign-made cars. Exactly. It's true. It's true. It, it's, it's true. It's a fact. That's why the, the Ukrainians Even though most of the parts for, for American cars are made in the third world. Well, everything. I feel is. like I feel like a majority of your American-made car is not made in America. No, 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 no. Yeah, but you can say that it's American. You can made say it if you want because yeah. it's a Chevrolet. Or a in this Ford. country, we drive Dodge Rams. That's right. <laughs> I don't want no Japanese name on my car. No. I want a no French Toyota's name like Chevrolet. Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the segment's going to be very open just because, like, we can literally spiral off of anything I just talked about for a whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll see if I want to, like, kind of and uh, kind of, like, take apart certain segments of this and kind of expand upon it for an episode or if I'm just going to completely, if something catches my mind, that's what I'm going to write about for the next week. Um, we'll kind of see. Um, I also know a lot of people don't even know what socialism is. Or what that, Marxism is, so that I might could be do a an good episode early like episode. <laughs> yeah, or we could just do a little Q and A session where Jerry just throws questions out. Oh, that um, would be good. That well, might be good. I, I know more than the the average than the average human person. Man. Yes, uh, yeah. or, or average American. Average American. Uh, yeah. Probably not average world citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have read. Uh, I've read the Communist Manifesto, and I, per, I, I would identify myself as a socialist. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but I, I don't know a whole lot about the history of it or, or stuff like that, which is yeah, why I, I mean, think it's, this it's a baseline is good. of theory where it's like, oh, here's some your some points. Right. Like, oh yeah, I like this. Expanding upon it, where it like really gets more in depth but yeah yeah. and i think the majority of where i'm coming from is um this the system isn't working and i think Mm -hmm. my allegiances are always going to be with the ground with the people um and those are the people who are being exploited on and even if uh you know I, i feel like socialism communism at least in the american spheres of things gets a bad rap um oh yeah the amount of i could do like multiple segments on just uh anti-communist like there's like multiple red scares yes i could do it on everyday media i could literally like pull watch a random youtube video from like vice or something and then pick (laughs) apart where the ideology comes in it's once you gain class consciousness which is kind of where you see yourself um, where you recognize your class position in society. Uh, it seems easy to do that. It's not once it's kind of like a click thing. Like once it happens, like, Whoa, okay, yeah. I get it. Um, 
I can't enjoy things as much anymore. We'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> I can't watch any state media without my head exploding. It, it's kind of insane. So we could do multiple segments on that. Um, but yeah, I think maybe like a Q&A thing or just answering simple questions could be a good one for next week. Just okay. because a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people, it's scary to them because it's been ingrained so far in their head that like these words are kind of like, ah, scary the bad guys. What are those? The bad guys. The the Russian in Rocky Four. He's a bad oh guy God. because he's, he's a communist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or how just like every movie for the past twenty years, the bad guys are just Russians, no matter what. Yeah. Like, even even in Top Gun, the the yeah. new one, they tried so hard. There was no mm-hmm. flags, but it was in a cold place in the mountains. Which granted, it could have been in like northern China or something or. Yeah, North which Korea? isn't much better. Uh, Still not much better. Yeah, um, it's it's uh you know scary uh, northeastern yeah. Asia. Yeah, yeah, Asia in general is scary to America. Yes, um, I can do a whole episode on that. Too. Oh my god, there this go. this will be endless content forever. There's too many things to talk about, <laughs> and it could all spiral out of control into a different topic. It's so hard to kind of stay focused when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, um, just because there's so much to get out there. Um, but yeah, maybe next week I'll, I'll put together like some uh, simple questions that people might have um, or perspectives on things where it's like, where's the position? Where's the Marxist position on this or this or that? Mm. Um, so that would be a little bit less scripted. It'd just be kind of free flow. I feel like that would be cool. Um, okay. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed the segment because this will be kind of my new thingy going forward since music is so slow i won't have a lot to talk about in the music realm yeah yeah you've definitely uh i feel like you're, you're kind of taking a back seat over the this year just because music has been so slow mm-hmm. um so yeah this will be good um yeah even out um podcast evenly distributed like we will evenly distribute the podcast yes 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 very good. All right. Well, I think I generally we both, the, we both own the podcast. So you can't really redistribute. <laughs> we'll redistribute the wealth of the podcast, and by wealth yeah. I mean time. Time is money, yeah. as they say. As they say, they do say that. Um. But yeah. Uh, so. That'll be it. I think I think this will be the format that we do going forward, at least for hundred episodes. I don't yeah, know. I don't yeah, know. until we revamp it in a hundred episodes, which will be in like uh, what, a little over, over a two and years. And a half. Two years, yeah. And they're fifty-two in a week. Oh yeah, there's fifty-two. We usually take a couple weeks off. Yeah. Although I don't think we have this year. No, we've been pretty good. Um. So. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, I'm, I am eager to, to hear what people are thinking about the new segments, the new segment. Also what, uh, what I can do better as a reviewer. Cause I'm trying to get better at that. Do gooder words. Do gooder words. I, I think I am becoming better just because I've seen so many movies now. I can kind of start compartmentalizing things a little better figure out how to do words good 
Um, but yeah, let us know. Very interested to hear what y'all have to say. If you have any questions for the Q and A portion, be good. I'd, I'd like that. Um, Wherever you can leave comments, I don't know. Do yeah, like yeah, it would have to be on YouTube, I think. Um, Just tweet at us full caps, or you can no tweet context. at us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tweet at us at boytimeyt, um, and we will get those too. So, uh, be very interested to hear what you guys have to say. But I think, I think that will do it for our big two hundred episode special. Um, we didn't quite get to two hours, but that's unfortunate. That's just just what we'll have to deal with. Maybe the theme song will add a significant Ooh, yeah. amount. It's not. Just loop the theme song until it gets to that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's 15 seconds. But at seconds. the beginning and the end of the podcast with an intermission that also plays it. Oh, good. Yeah, that'll work. Bye. <laughs>